We've been studying together for some time the epistle of Paul to the Colossians. The first two chapters really deal with the first of those, what we are to believe concerning Christ. But then chapters 3 and 4 are talking about the way we are to behave in the light of that as followers of the Savior. Both are linked. Belief and behavior. Our lives as Christian believers should be a practical demonstration of the truth regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to go back over all the ground that I've covered already, but you will see in the doctrinal section of this book all these various things about the Lord Jesus Christ and what our position is in Him and because of Him. And since these things are true, since these things have actually taken place in us that he describes that we have been, for example, buried with him and raised with him and quickened together with him, having our trespasses all forgiven and so on. Because of this, he begins in chapter 3, set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. If or since, as we've been pointing out, that is the sense of this, since ye then be risen with Christ, since this is true, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's how you're to live. In heavenly mindedness, with your mind and heart fixed all the time upon eternal matters. Now that doesn't mean that you don't get on with your daily life. We have to work. We have to earn our bread. We have to pay our bills. We have to have our family connections and our friendships and all the various things that we do in this life. The Lord is not telling us to go off somewhere and live in some kind of recluse or as hermits so that we can be heavenly minded. That is not the teaching of Scripture. But what the Bible is saying is that this doctrine, this teaching that he's just been giving, demands duty. If you like to put it another way, our creed determines our conduct. And as one man put it, facts are followed by acts. Now look at verse 5 of Colossians 3. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now the word therefore one preacher said you have to think about what it is therefore. It's going back over what you've just already been studying. Therefore in the light of this something follows. Holiness of heart and of mind it leads to holiness of life. We learn from 2 Corinthians 5.17 if any man be in Christ He is a new creature. Things have changed. Things are different now, the hymn writer said. Something happened to me since I gave my heart to him. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me since I gave my life to him. There's a changed life. To be expected in the believer. That's what Colossians chapter 3 outlines for us. 
Look at verse 7 down to verse 10. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. It's talking about the past. But now. See, there's a change. But now. Ye also put off all these. And he lists the things that were to put off. Because we have put off, verse 9, the old man with his deeds. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Putting off and putting on. There's a change. There's the old life. And there's the new life. Now I know that that's something that's very unpopular in many circles today. The idea is that your life doesn't need to change in order for you to be a good Christian. We've got people going around today, and when you look at them, you think to yourself, I wonder where the change is. I'm not seeing it. I see people who profess the Lord's name with piercings all over their faces, with tattoos all over their bodies, dressed like tramps, and they're telling me that they're Christians. And I'm looking at them. Yes, I am looking at the outward appearance. Don't let's have this nonsense about God looks only on the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Nowhere does the Bible say that. What the Bible does say is that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. In other words, God looks beyond the outward appearance. God looks at the heart and the outward appearance. The Lord Jesus said that there was to be a cleansing of the cup and the platter on the outside and the inside. In fact, he said you must cleanse first that which is within, that the outside of them also may be clean. Well, the Lord makes a change on the outside when he makes a change on the inside. Again, that's very unpopular today in many circles. Not least among many who say they're reformed. I'm sorry to have to say it. Just go, well, don't bother. Take my word for it. You could go to some of these reformed conferences where these big shot preachers are preaching. And the state of some of them that are there. It's hard to believe that these people profess to be Christians. There's no change. There's certainly no change on the outside. I saw one fella, a picture of him, he had a, a tattoo on his neck, something to do with Jesus. You think that's what the Lord wants you to do? Is that how the Lord wants you to witness for him, to have markings in your flesh with his name on it? There's a great change that has taken place on the inside of every true Christian that must be manifested on the outside. Now let's not imagine that if you have everything right on the outside, that that means that everything's right on the inside, because that doesn't follow. You can have everything right outwardly, and have a wicked heart. But what Paul is outlining here, and it's the point that I want to make in this message, is that Christians must disown the old life. They must disown the old life. The old life that they lived as a sinner. So let me just say that again. This is our main point tonight. 
we must disown the old life of the sinner. You compare verses 5 through 9 here with what's written in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I've pointed this out in the past, that when you read Ephesians along with Colossians, you'll see a lot of similar material. Very many of the statements that are made in Ephesians are repeated in Colossians. And here we have some examples of that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 25. That ye put off, there it is, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. And that's an old English word that refers not just to your speech, but to your manner of life. Now, when we talk today about a conversation, we mean two people talking. But in the old days, when the authorized version would have been written, the word conversation involved so much more than just your speech. It referred to your whole manner of life and demeanor. So when he says, put off concerning the former conversation, he means the way that you lived and the way that you behaved. Put off the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means changed. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You could see this pictured in someone changing their clothes. Somebody comes in from the field with old garments on, full of filth and dirt, with mud attached and oil and grease and all sorts. And they take all those old clothes off and they get a shower and get cleaned up and then they put on new clothes. This is what Paul is talking about in the Christian life. We must disown the old life of the sinner. A Christian must seek to be active, actually involved in the repudiation of sin in his life, putting it away. There are things to be rejected, things to be refused, which were once enjoyed and relished by him in the days before his conversion. Again, Colossians 3, verse 6 and 7. For which things? The things that are aforementioned in verse 5. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Before you were saved, these are the kinds of things that you were noted for. But a change of heart has taken place. And because a change of heart has taken place on the inside, a change of life is now called for. That's really what this is saying. Again, go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We know these verses, many of us, very well. And you hath he quickened. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, our way of living. In times past, in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Some of us can look back to those days when we were partying and clubbing, right? When we joined with others in binges on alcohol and so on. Not that those are the only sins that people can commit, but that's the kind of thing that people do before they're saved many times. Living ungodly lives, cursing, swearing, taking the Lord's name in vain, getting drunk, doing drugs, fornicating, being involved in all of the worldly activities that the rest of the world seemingly are involved in. That's what happens when you're not saved. That's the way you live when you're not saved. You can be a party animal. You can be a nightclubber. You can be somebody who spends all their time in the dens of iniquity. That's what happens when you're not saved. But that shouldn't be happening when you profess to be saved. That should all come to an end. I heard my father many, many times give his testimony and I used to marvel at this because I never heard my dad utter a a swear word in my entire life. Not once. I never saw him drunk. I never saw him being involved in any activity that was even close to being unclean. Yet my father was able to testify that before he was saved, he had a mouth like a drunken sailor. He used to curse and swear. Every other word was the F-bomb. That's how he talked before he was saved. He drank like a fish. In fact, the night he met my mother, he had bottles of booze in both pockets. Stuff that they call stout over there. My dad loved nothing more than to go to the dancing He was a good dancer, by all accounts. Him and my mother used to go to the dances. In fact, they met at a dance. That's where they met. Both unsaved. My dad had a bunch of friends who were ungodly men. Just like himself. Interested in the same things as he was. And the night that he got saved which is the anniversary coming up very soon, the 26th of February, 1956. He used to testify to it all the time. Something happened that night that changed his life. Gone was the old life. Cigarettes, they were gone. The drink, that was gone. The card school, gambling, that was gone. The cursing and the swearing and the blaspheming, that was gone. Hanging out with ungodly men in ungodly places, that was gone. That stopped. You know what you have now? People who say they're saved, sitting around in pubs, drinking booze and talking about theological books. Listen, Christians are to put to death The works of the flesh. This is disowning the old life of the sinner. You see verse 5 of Colossians 3? It begins with the word mortify. You know what a mortician is, don't you? Someone who deals with death. 
You know what a mortuary is? A mortuary is a place where they have dead corpses. A mortician deals with corpses. He deals with death. So this word mortify literally means put to death or kill or starve to death. Mortify or put to death or kill, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Isn't that interesting? What are your members? Well, they're the various parts of your body. Your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, your legs. Those are your members. Now, what does the Lord want us to do? Does He want us to start mutilating our bodies? Well, doesn't it say in the Bible, if your eye offend thee, pluck it out? Doesn't it say if your right hand offend you, cut it off? You think the Lord meant you were to take that literally? Of course He didn't mean you were to do that literally. He's talking about putting away the sins that are committed by the eye and by the hand and so on. That's what he's talking about. Put to death, kill or starve to death your members. Now that terminology is used also in Romans chapter 6 verse 13. Let me read this to you. Romans 6 13. Neither yield ye your members. That's the various parts of your body. As instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members, that's the parts of your body, as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. The various parts of the human body are its members. The eyes, the ears, the hands, the tongue, etc., etc. These, we know, can be instruments of sin. Think of our first parents. When Eve saw that the fruit was to be desired, there is the sin of the eye and of the heart. It was to be desired, but she saw it with her eye. We know that our eyes, our ears, the things that we listen to, can be instruments of sin. Our hands can commit sin. Our tongues can commit sin. We can tell lies. We can speak foolishness. We can curse and swear with our tongues. These can be instruments of sin. And we are prone to commit the sins of the flesh. Here's the question. How can we deprive the flesh of its strength and power? How can we keep the members of our bodies from being overtaken in this way? Well, one thing we have to say is it can't be done in our own strength. Romans 8 verse 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, there it is again, put to death or kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If ye, how? Through the Spirit do mortify or put to death. The deeds of the body. That's how it's to be done. That ties in with Ephesians chapter 6. Where from verse 10. It lists the various pieces of armor. That the Christian is to employ. Finally my brethren. Be strong. How? In the Lord. And in the power of his might. 
put on the whole armor of God, not your own armor, but the armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. There's no period in there. There's no full stop. It doesn't say I can do all things. It's I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I need the Lord's strength to live for Him in this world and to put away sins. Now, I think it's significant for us to note that these sins, the sins of the members of the body, are so strong that they are identified with the parts of our bodies. You notice that? He says there in verse 5 of Colossians 3, Mortify, put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. Then he doesn't say your hands, your feet, your eyes, and so on. He says fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and so on. He's talking about the sins that are committed by those members of your body. The sins are so strong that they are identified with the various parts of our human frame. Put to death your members. And then he lists certain sins. What do we need to do? By faith, through the grace of God, we need to take the armor of God and we must actively enter into battle with the sin nature. Doesn't the Bible say, fight the good fight of faith? Doesn't just happen, you know. You've got to fight. Don't allow your members to be used in the service of sin. That's what the Lord is saying here. That's easier said than done. We need the grace of God. Now note the works of the flesh that are particularly mentioned here. We're talking about disowning the old life of the sinner. We're talking about putting to death the works of the flesh. What are they? Fornication. Oh, how prevalent is that sin today? Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. In this context, it means any illicit sexual activity. Any illicit sexual activity. You'll agree with me that this is an age that we're living in that is obsessed with lust after sexual gratification. They can't even sell motor vehicles without using sex. We are bombarded, are we not, every day with images of sexual things everywhere. You can't walk through your mall without seeing stuff in the windows of stores that you have to turn your head the other way. Stuff comes up on your computer. Ads come up. Filthy ads. Filthy videos. They come right up on your Facebook page. And other social media stuff that I'm not even on, but I'm told. Instagram, all those other platforms, they're full of it. We're bombarded with images of sex. Now, the Bible still teaches, believe it or not, that sex is only permissible within the marriage bond. That's what the Bible teaches. 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first two verses. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, and that's the subject here in Colossians 3, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. There's the cure. Monogamy. Within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. That's what the Bible teaches. Oh, that's so old-fashioned. That's so Bible, isn't it? Hebrews 13, verse 4. It's still in the Bible. Marriage is honourable in all. And the bed undefiled. Marriage, conjugal relations. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. I would love to paste that text over the top of Hollywood studios. And many other places as well. It will interest you to know that the word fornication is used here in Colossians 3 and verse 5. In the Greek language, it is porneia. Isn't that interesting? The first four letters of that are porn. Pornea. It has to do with pornography and everything connected with it. Fornication. It actually literally means immorality of all kinds. Of all types. That includes living in sin. People cohabiting. Shacking up together. Whatever description you want to use. People who are not married. Living together in sexual relations. That's what it's talking about. Pornea. Adultery. It includes homosexuality. It includes incest. It includes bestiality. All of which, by the way, were practiced in the pagan world. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing. You read your Old Testament and you'll see the things that God spoke concerning the the nations in Canaan. The things that they were doing, sexual immorality was rife. All of these things were practiced in the pagan world. If you study the history of the Grecian Empire and the Roman Empire, the Romans were filthy brutes. The Greeks and the Romans... In the days in which the apostles lived, they knew nothing of chastity and purity. But you know what the gospel did? The gospel swept clean all the filthy habits of the pagan world. And Paul listed those. Paul mentioned those in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what he said about the Corinthian people. He's talking about this overall teaching. That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here are people who are not going to heaven. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't be there. Be not deceived. Neither. There's the first one. Fornicators. It's the same root word. Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers. Isn't it interesting that he has juxtaposed 
fornication and adultery and idolatry. He, he mentions fornicators, then he goes to idolaters, and then he mentions adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. Why would he do that? Because a, the apostasy, the idolatry, is spiritual fornication. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. You've just to read the book of Hosea to understand that. So here we have it. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate. Abusers of themselves with mankind. It's not hard to figure out what this is talking about, is it? Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this. And such were some of you. See you people in Corinth. A whole lot of you were involved in this activity. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God, there has come a great change through the Gospel. You've stopped that activity. Now we have the Church of England bishops meeting to decide whether they're going to bless homosexual unions or not. Don't they believe the Bible? No, they don't. They don't. Listen, Christian believers are not to gratify and feed the lusts of the flesh. Pornography is not allowed, not to be allowed to infiltrate our minds. It will lead to immorality. What you think about will lead to what you do. Fornication. Uncleanness. What's uncleanness? What does that mean? Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. It really refers to impurity. And this is actually wider than physical immorality. Because it also encompasses a filthy mind and a filthy tongue. There are people who may not be involved in doing certain things, but they talk about it and they think about it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, but fornication, there's that word again, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So in the context, it has to do with indecency that provokes imagination and that affects speech and determines attitudes. We have to be careful about the things that we say and the things that we focus our minds upon. Very quickly, let me mention the others here. Inordinate affection. That has to do with passion or sensual desires. You could sum it up as lust. Inordinate affection. Lust. It's that shameful emotion that leads to sexual impurity. Because again, our desires lead to deeds and our appetites lead to actions. People are not involved in doing things that are wrong without thinking about it first. Without having a desire for it first. And you can feed those desires if you're not walking with God. First Thessalonians 4, 
Verse 3 and 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that's your human body, in sanctification and honor. Then verse 7, For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. And then there's this. Evil concupiscence. It's a great word, isn't it? Concupiscence. Do you know what it means? Well, I didn't until I looked it up. Concupiscence literally means evil or wicked cravings. Or you could say evil or unholy desires. Evil concupiscence. Evil or wicked cravings. Evil or unholy desires. First Thessalonians 4 verse 5 says, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That's what they were noted for. They're wicked, they're evil, and they're unholy desires. It's really an inordinate craving after sexual gratification. And out of this craving and evil desire spring all kinds of sins. And then covetousness, which is idolatry. The commandment of God, the tenth commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness. Covetousness is basically self-seeking or greed. And can I just tell you that this is what is at the heart of all sin. The tenth commandment is involved in the breaking of all God's commandments. Covetousness is at the heart of all sin. The tenth commandment, when it's broken, really involves all the rest of the commandments. Because covetousness is self-seeking or greed. And every sin falls under that category. Every sin is basically rooted in selfishness. Why do people get involved in sexual immorality? Because of selfish desire for, for themselves and their gratification. The worship of self instead of the worship of God. The substitution of self for Christ in one's affections. Covetousness. And all of these works of the flesh, Paul writes, are to be mortified. They're to be put to death. We are to starve the flesh. Because these are things that God punishes. These are the things for which the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. See that in verse 6? For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. God is angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with their sin. And he punishes sin. So these are things that belong to the old life. They do not belong in the life of a true Christian. Verse 7 tells us, again we emphasize it, concerning all of these sins, these works of the flesh, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. See, that's the way it used to be, Paul says to these Colossians. This is the way you used to live. 
But you're not to live like that anymore. May the Lord save us from the covetousness of every kind of sin. Our Lord Jesus talked about this particular sin in a particular context in Luke chapter 12. He said to certain ones, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. But doesn't that cut right across the philosophy of the world? Why do you think there's such a thing as the Pennsylvania Lottery? Why do you think there are such things as these scratch cards? Why do you think there's such an emphasis on making money? And money making schemes? And why do you think people are involved in all kinds of activity to try to make money? Because they believe that a man's life does consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. That's what they think. If, I'd only, if, if I only had more money, if I only had this, and I had that, and I had the other thing, I would be happier. No, you wouldn't. You only think you would. But it's pure and unadulterated greed. Always wanting more than we ought to have. Craving for more things. Being intoxicated with things. This is idolatry. Hebrews 13 verse 15 puts it like this. Words that are always a great comfort to God's people in the latter part of the verse. But the first part of the verse is Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation, it means, as I've said, your manner of life, your behavior, be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be content in Christ? That's not to say that when you've got a job that doesn't pay very much, you shouldn't try to get a job that pays more. There's nothing wrong with that within reason. Now, if it's going to be injurious to your spiritual life to take that job with the raise, don't do it. It's not a, there's no sin in moving from a small apartment into a house, if that is what the Lord enables you to do. But you've got to keep things in perspective and be content with the things that you have. I had an elder in my first church. He's now with the Lord many years. Brother Willie Ferguson, he was a godly man. Always first at the prayer meeting. You never had to wonder, will Willie and his wife be at the prayer meeting? Because they were always there. You never had to wonder, will they be there Sunday morning or Sunday night? Because they were always there. Willie had some great sayings. And one of them was, people often say, when you die, you leave it all behind. He says, no, that's not right. He said, you'll not leave it all behind. He says, you'll be taken away from it. He said, we're very reluctant to leave what we have. You're not going to leave it behind. You're going to be taken away from it. There's no U-Haul trailer behind the hearse. Naked we come into the world. Naked we will leave this world. We go out of this world with nothing but what we came into it with. And that is a never dying soul. Covetousness. Unadulterated greed. Wanting more than what we ought 
to have or what God wants us to have. That is idolatry. And may the Lord keep us from it. The believer is not to dabble with sin or live on the fringes of such practices as we have mentioned here. Some verses I want to mention from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, from verse number 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids, for by means... Of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. That covers the first sin, or several of those first named sins, that I mentioned tonight in Colossians 3. Notice carefully there, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. There's no action taken there yet. But this is what happens with sin. We keep it in our mouths like a sweet morsel. And as it says in verse 32 of Proverbs 6, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Remember also the words of Matthew 5, where the Lord is speaking there of looking upon to lust after. We're not to dabble with sin. We're not to live on the edge of these practices. Or imagine that just thinking about it or looking at it is not going to do us any harm, because it absolutely does harm. We are to put to death the works of the flesh. Now why would we do that? Well, we'll go back to what it says in the first couple of verses. Because we're risen with Christ. We're to seek the things that are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We're to set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. He said, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You're supposed to be dead to these things. Crucified with Christ. Therefore, put off the old life. Put on the new life. We are indeed to be involved as Christians in disowning the old life of the sinner, putting to death the works of the flesh. May the Lord help us to do that. May the Lord give us grace to be obedient to His Word. May the Lord give us grace to live for Him and to walk with Him in white that we might be worthy. Amen.